This is KMTT, Kimi Tzion, Tetzei Torah. And today the Shur in Parshat HaShavua. The Shur in Parshat HaShavua for Sefer Bamidbar, the entire Sefer Bamidbar, will be given by Harav Alex Israel. Hi, Erev Tov. This is, uh, or maybe, I don't know if it's Erev Tov or Boker Tov for you. Here it's Erev Tov, uh, Alex Israel in Alon Shvutz. And we're going to be talking about Parshat uh, Chukat. Um, Parshat Chukat is certainly a, a, an exceptionally uh, exciting Parsha. Enormous amount of action goes on in this Parsha. Um, and I'm going to turn our attention to uh, Perak Chaf Aleph, chapter 21, uh, which has uh, for many, many years uh, particularly attracted my attention. Um, and we're going to start off with a series of questions. If you have a chumash available, um, it would be useful to look in. Uh, if you don't, then uh, that's also fine. Hopefully I'll try and make it clear for those of you who are uh, out walking or whatever you're doing when you're listening or driving, listening to this podcast. Uh, let's start off with Perak Chaf Aleph, with the first uh, event, which sometimes people don't even remember. There we hear about a war. Uh, with uh, Melech Arad Yoshev HaNegev. Uh, Am Yisrael apparently are traveling on their way to uh, Eretz Yisrael. And uh, it says, Vayishma Knani Melech Arad Yoshev HaNegev. The king of Arad, who is in southern Israel, hears, Ki Ba Yisrael Derech Atarim, Vayilachem Yisrael Vayishp Mimenu Shevi. He takes captives, or Chazal say even only a single captive, it's not clear, but uh, there is a war, and uh, in this war, uh, captives are taken. If they make a neder to God, the whole nation make a neder to God, and they say, if you deliver this people in, our, in my hand, I will destroy their cities. Or maybe Hacharamti from Cherem, I will dedicate their cities to God. I won't take the spoils. Uh, all the spoils will be dedicated to God. And indeed, the next pasuk, pasuk Gimel, Vayishma Hashem B'Kol Yisrael, Vayitenet Aknani, God listened to the voice of the people, and He delivered the Canaanites in their hand, Vayacharem Etem Vetarehem Vayikrashim Makom Chorma. A simple story. The Canaanites attack, take captives, Am Yisrael make a a vow, and uh, that if they are successful in war, they will give something to God, and God makes them successful. Beautiful story. But how does this story contribu- contribute to, to, to the drama here? What is, it, what is it meant to tell us? And, you know, when I look at this uh, particular story, um, I, I, I notice one, one, one striking thing about it. And the striking thing that I notice about it is that uh, Am Yisrael here act independently. In every single situation we've had until now, and even in future situations, Am Yisrael are led by a leader, by Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, Moshe, Haron, Miriam, whoever it might be. Here, Vayidar Yisrael. Yisrael make a vow. God hears the voice of Israel. Where is Moshe Rabbeinu? 
Where is he? Where did he disappear to? We then follow the next story. And uh, the people are travelling around Eretz Edom, and we have the famous episode of the Nechashim Hasrafim, the fiery serpents, where uh, the people are plagued by um, these Nechashim Srafim, these burning serpents, these burning snakes, and they're bitten by them. And uh, the way to resolve it is that they put a copper serpent on a, on a big stick, on a big uh, pole, and whoever would look at the Nachash would live. But again, if you look at this story, there are a few very puzzling things here, or certainly uncharacteristic things. First of all, uh, it's not clear what's, what's happening here, um, because the, the, when, you look at, when you look at the people here, uh, they, they they complain about very strange things. It says, Why have you taken us into the taken us out from Egypt to die in this wilderness? There is no bread, and there is no water, and our souls have had enough of this lechem haklokel. This it's not clear what klokel means, but uh, some people say kalkal, this very light lechem. Hold on, let's go through that pasuk again. There is no bread and there is no water, and we're sick of this bread. Let's listen carefully. There's no bread, but they do have bread. So what are they complaining about? Do they have bread or don't they have bread? Another interesting thing about this story is... Uh, where it says the people turn around and they start getting bitten. And once again, what usually happens in these situations is that the nation complain more. If we remember Korach just a week ago, once one thing goes wrong, further things go wrong, and it sort of spirals and escalates. Um, but here that's not true. The minute the Nechashim Hasrafim, these fiery serpents come along and people die, Vayavoha Am El Moshe, the people come to Moses and they say, Chatanu, we're, we've done the wrong thing. Um, very unusual. Chatanu ki dibarnu b'ashem We spoke badly about you and about God. Hid palel al-Hashem, you pray to God, etc., etc. Strange. It almost sounds like Am Yisrael are, are learning their lesson. Uh, how can this possibly be? <laughs> what is going on here that Am Yisrael uh, seem to be learning Learning their lesson, this is certainly an unusual, unusual thing. So, how exactly are we to understand this this story? Um, there's there are further episodes in this in this uh, series of of events here. Uh, for example, then we have a an interesting episode of a shira. Uh, we're not quite sure why, but Azashi Yisraelit Ashira Hazot Ali Be'er Anula. Interesting Shira, and then the wars of Sichon, Melech Amori, and Og Melech Bashan. That's how our parsha is structured. That's what we have here, and what we want to try and do is to to grapple with this. What exactly is going on in this parsha? And uh, if I really want to try and understand chapter uh, twenty-one here, Perachaf Aleph, I think I have to go back into the parsha and to understand. Its structure and what's what's going on here. Parsha Chukas begins with a para aduma, 
uh, interesting what exactly Parat Dom is trying to tell us. Maybe if we have time at the end, I will make a suggestion. But if we pick up the thread in Parat Chaf, in chapter 20, uh, we already are going to have some interesting uh, things to say. In the opening of chapter 20, we have the death of Miriam, which results in a lack of water for the, for the community, for, for B'nai Israel. It gives us a date. We come to Midbar Sin in the first month. In the first month, and that's where Miriam dies. First month of which year? Well, it's interesting that in the very same parak we have uh, the story of the death of Aharon. And the death of Aharon, we don't hear about the exact date here, but it's actually provided to us later on in uh, Sefer Bamidbar. Uh, later on in Sefer Bamidbar, in Parshat uh, Masay, um, chapter 33, Parak Lamed Gimel, Pasuk. Lamed Chet, it tells us that Aaron died in the 40th year of the Midbar. Aaron dies in the, in the 40th year. How about Miriam? So indeed, the Ibn Ezra here says something uh, amazing. He says that Miriam also dies in the 40th year. In other words, all these stories take place in the 40th year of the Midbar. Um, says the Ibn Ezra here, and I'll quote, he says, Sefer Bamibar only tells us of the first year, actually he means the first and the second, and the 40th year of the Midbar. Okay, so let's try and put things in order. The first thing which takes place in chapter 20 already throws us into the 40th year of the Midbar, and the first thing we see is Miriam dies. Miriam dies, and uh, immediately afterwards there's a problem that there's no water in the camp. Chazal therefore comes to the conclusion that the water in the camp was there by virtue of the uh, righteousness of Miriam. And then we have the famous story of Meimuriva, and in Meimuriva, where Moshe hits the rock. Again, there are several explanations as to how to understand this parasha, and I'm certainly not going to get entangled in it now. But uh, let's simply say that the upshot of this story, where Moshe hits the rock, is the following, that uh, Moshe and Aaron are informed that they will not make it to Eretz Yisrael. Now that you didn't uh, believe in me in order to sanctify my name you're not going to bring the people into the land that I'm giving them in other words Miriam is dead Moshe and Haran are not going to be taking the people into the land in the next parsha, we see that Am Yisrael are on the move Am Yisrael are on the move and they are um, trying to get to Eretz Yisrael by way of the land of Edom. Edom nowadays is, I think, what we call the Arava, the valley south of the Dead Sea. And it seems like they want to cross through that land in order to reach uh, the Jericho area, uh, traveling sort of uh, on the uh, 
they want to travel on the east side of the Jordan, the east side of the Dead Sea, to get to Jericho, but uh, they're not given safe passage. Um, so we have that episode, and then Aharon dies. In a single chapter, chapter 20, we see, how should I put it? We see the dismantling of the entire leadership of the Midbar. Miriam is dead, Aaron is dead, and Moshe is not leading us into the land. So where does that lead us? If, if, if all the leaders are, are, are dead, what's happening here? Certainly we get the sense that, um, how can I put it? The Midbar itself, the institutions that have been established through 40 years in the Midbar, are collapsing. They are they're slowly crumbling and falling away. And that is what uh, Perak Perak Huff describes, chapter 20 describes. All the leadership has, is, is on its way out. And Bnei Israel are getting close to Eretz Israel. And it's precisely at this point that uh, along comes the war with the king of Arad. And in the war with the king of Arad, suddenly we see Bnei Israel adopt a new confidence. Bnei Israel acts in a classic manner of war where they take a vow. They're fighting a natural war, so it would seem. They fight with this, uh, they are attacked by the king of Arad. It doesn't frazzle them, it doesn't scare them. They don't need a Moshe on the mountain like they did in the war of Amalek, holding up his hands, holding down his hands, even though, interestingly enough, that does come in the next story. Um, Or some parallel of it. But they don't need that. They don't even need a Moshe leading them. What do they need? They confidently turn around and say, we know how to do this. We will make a neder to God. We will bring God into our battle plan. We will bring God into our military strategy. They make a neder, they make a vow that they will dedicate everything to God and God should help them. They know that God doesn't, is not going to do miracles for them. Uh, but they say, we understand that God helps us in the battlefield and that's what we're going to do. And indeed, the Kna'ani, um, um, when they fight the Kna'ani, they dedicate everything to God. Amistral really seemed to be on a new on a new level here. And it's at this point that we have the opening line of the story of the Nechashim Asrafim, What does it mean, Vatiksar Nefesh Ambaderech? The people, um, for the word Katsar, they, they, their, their souls, Vatiksar, are short. They 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 haven't got it. They haven't got any patience. Rashi says, "Lashon um, nefesh They've had enough. They've had enough. And as usual, what do they do when they've had enough? They say, "You know, why did you ever bring us back to Egypt? Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt?" However, this time they actually say something different. They don't say like we saw early on in Sefer Bamidbar or in Sefer Shemot. We wanted to go back to Egypt. They don't say that. Let's listen carefully to what they say. You're going to kill us here in the Midbar. Maybe I'll put it a different way. What does it mean? It's not that they want to go, down to go back to Egypt. 
but they want to stop traveling. But where do they want to go? Well, again, let's let's look at their complaints. We've had enough of this light bread. Lechem ha-klokel, maybe from the word kal kal, right? It's very, very, very light and airy. Rashi says here something special. What does it mean, lechem ha-klokel? He says, lefisha ha-ma'an nivla be'ivarim karu klokel. That the man itself, the special food of the man in the Midbar, um, it would be absolutely absorbed in the body. It would be absorbed, it was such wholesome food, that uh, there were no waste products. Um, that's why they call it klokel. Amru, atid haman azeshit pach b'me'enu, klum yesh yuludisha shemachnis ve'enu motzi, is there any human being who ingests without excreting? The assumption being of the Midrash here, which Rashi quotes, is that uh, they actually never excreted in the Midbar. They didn't need to excrete because this was God food, which was wholly pure for them, and there were no waste products. But again, if we look at this story, what have they had enough of? What, they want to go down to, back to Egypt? No. This is 40 years later. None of these people were in Egypt. They don't remember Egypt. But they're saying... No! 40 years is up. Let's go to Eretz Israel already. Let's be there already. What do, we, what do we need to be hanging around in this Midbar? If you look at a map, you will notice they are, they start off very near the southern border, the Negev, the southern Arad, the southern border of Israel. They can simply enter into Israel through Arad up to the Hebron area, and they're in Israel. But what do they do at this point? It tells us exactly what they do. The reason why they get impatient, if you look carefully at Pasuk Dalad, here in Perak Chafalaf, in verse 4, is They start travelling south, away from Eretz Israel. And people say, why are we travelling south? We, we, we need to travel north. We need to go into the land. What are we hanging around here for? It's 40th year, the Gezerah is over, we can go into the land, we want to be there already. It's at this point that the Nechashim Asrafim happen. And what exactly are the Nechashim Asrafim? Rav Hirsch comments on the phrase Vayishalach Hashem Ba'am et Hanechashim Asrafim. Two points in the Pasuk draw his attention. Number one, the word Vayishalach as opposed to Vayishlach. Um, and the second one is the definite article where he says he sends against the people Hanechashim Asrafim. Uh, so Rav Hirsch says the following very, very beautifully. He says, Shalach in the Kal means to send, to put something in motion towards a goal. But Shalach in PL predominantly has the meaning of letting something go, to leave it to its natural way, not to hold it back. So he says like this, Here not Nechashim Srafim, but Hanachashim Hasrafim. He says, They had always been there in the wilderness. There had always been serpents there. But hitherto, they had been kept back by God's careful protecting power. Now God withdraws his restraining power, and the serpents of the wilderness follow the natural traits to which the people succumbed. What's happening here? He says like this, The serpent's bite had the sole purpose of letting the people see the dangers which dog a person steps when he goes through the wilderness. And that it was only the, through the miraculous power of God which had kept them far from them. And so far indeed, they did not even have an idea of their existence. 
One who had been bitten had only to fix the image of a serpent firmly in his mind so that he realises even when God's gracious power will again keep the serpents at distance, he will remember the danger is still in existence, dangers that daily and hourly the special care of God let us escape quite unconsciously. What's he saying here? What's happening in Parshat Chukat is the Midbar is falling away, the leaders are gone, or they're going, and suddenly Am Yisrael feel a sense of confidence. The Jewish people, they take their own vows. Later on in the parsha, Az Yashiri Yisrael not Az Yashir Moshe, Az Yashiri Yisrael. And the people are in this situation, they say, enough of the Midbar, they want to run out of the Midbar. God says, I'm going to send you the Nechashim Asrafim. Not quite yet. It's not time yet. It's interesting that in this parsha, we actually move to a different entry point in order to uh, enter Eretz Yisrael. Uh, in the second year, when we went with the Maraglim, we were meant to enter Eretz Yisrael through the south, through Dromhare Hebron, through the southern Hebron hills, through Be'er Sheva, up through Hebron. Indeed, the Maraglim check out Hebron because that's going to be the first city they're going to have to conquer. Uh, it seems that, although we don't have any indication explicitly in the text, that God decided that uh, we shouldn't repeat the mistakes of yesteryear that if Hebron was a frightening place 40 years, a generation earlier, uh, we're not going to go that direction anymore. And that's why the people do an about turn, travel south, and come all the way uh, up to Yericho uh, in order to enter the land uh, from uh, the east. Uh, it's coming through the Jordan Valley, uh, not through the Hebron Hills. Uh, this frustrated the people, and the people are saying... We, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be traveling this way. We shouldn't be traveling away from Eretz Israel. And uh, what God turns around to them and says to them is, listen, you know, I've been looking after you so far. Uh, there are these Nechashim Srafim all over the wilderness. You think you want to have such a physical existence? You think you want to have such an automatic existence whereby you're left to nature? You want real bread? You want physical? I'll show you what it means to be physical in the Midbar. You can't survive in the Midbar. You cannot survive alone in the Midbar. But you notice in these stories that God doesn't get angry. There's no fury, there's no anger, there's no plagues uh, in a real sense. Um, and the reason for this is because Am Yisrael are exhibiting maturity, they're exhibiting emunah, they're exhibiting uh, a sense of desire not to uh, frustrate or thwart God's plans, but rather to work with God's plans. They're the people here are, are just interested to get to Eretz Yisrael uh, sooner. Uh, the Nechashim Asrafim were always in the Midbar, but God had protected them from them. So when they say we want a natural existence, God says, hey, okay, here you want natural, here's natural. You see, you can't do it. I think a beautiful, you know, the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah, a very famous Mishnah, talks about two events. Moshe holding his hands up in the story of Amalek, and the pole with the copper serpent on it, with the Nachash Nechoshet on it. The famous Mishnah at the th end of the third parak of uh, Rosh Hashanah says, you know, Moshe would lift up his hands in the war of Amalek. Do, do hands make you win a war, or do hands make you lose a war? Of course not. But it says whenever they looked at Moshe's hands, whenever Moshe's hands was up, they would direct their hearts heavenwards, and they would win when they were thinking about God. Likewise, does a snake make you healed, or does a snake make you die? No. However, when Am Yisrael looked up to the sky and they, they, they realized that God was there, 
um, they would be healed, and if not, they would they would not be. On the one hand, this event here, this perek, parallels the beginning of the Midbar, when we were attacked by Amalek and we needed to show faith in God in order to win our war. But how great the difference is. There we were a slave nation looking backwards, frightened, looking backwards to Egypt, not sure that we would be able to be victorious at all. Um, here we are an experienced nation. Here we are a nation who have experienced failure. But of course this is a nation of free people by now. It's been 40 years. The young people of this generation have not experienced the, the, the whole atmosphere of slavery. And therefore, uh, even though here we see the miracle, so to speak, of the Nechash Nechoshet, um, it is, first of all, far less dramatic. It's not like Moshe, who is actively holding up his hands and, and fighting them that they shouldn't go down. Here we see the Nechash Nechoshet standing there, this copper serpent on a, on a stick, and we have to simply glance at it, and, and, uh, and we, will not be, we will not be harmed. Uh, there is... Again, no drama or anything like that. We simply sail through the motions here. Now, at this point, what I what I've basically now we should realize at the end of Parashat Chukat, we again fight two wars without any sense of drama or circumstance. We fight Sichon and we're exceptionally successful. We fight Og, who is a formidable enemy. Og Habashan, who in Sefer Devarim we accentuate just how many cities he has and how large he is as a physical individual, how powerful he is as a king. Here, we don't see a lot of that. It's almost like we can do it. But Israel have that sense of confidence. And uh, to that degree, Parsha Chukat really is a Parsha of the 40th year. We sense a, a, an absolute shift in Sefer Bamidbar. We take ourselves away from all of the immature, petty complaints of the second year of the Midbar, and suddenly we find ourselves in far more mature territory of the 40th year, where Am Yisrael are far more uh, able to carry their own weight. Am Yisrael have the, their own momentum, they know how to go through the motions, they know how to be religious, they know how to fight a war with God, and uh, they're on their way to Eretz Yisrael. And it is precisely this point uh, which is drawn upon by the Nitziv in his introduction to Sefer Bamidbar, where he actually discusses um, how Sefer Bamidbar divides into two um, uh, very deliberately. He says, in the first generation, um, the generation when they came out of Egypt, he says, "Bamidbar hayu in hagim b'midat tiferet shalach liyimim Moshe shu legamri lemalam elichotateva." In the first generation, they were engaged in a sort of miraculous existence. But when they were in the 40th year, going to Eretz Yisrael, they were meant to go in almost a natural process. And God would be far more hidden. And these changes already started happening in the 40th year, as we see in Parsha Chukat, Al Pizeh Hashinoi, and through this change, Naasum Lachamot Yisraelim Aklani Vim Sichon Bederachateva. That's why when we fought the Canaanites in Perachafalaf and Sichon, it was Bederachateva. The Gam Hamatelo Hayaod Biad Moshe. Moshe wasn't carrying his staff anymore all the time unless he needed it. Um, the idea being that uh, suddenly 
we're in a, a very very different landscape we're in a, a emotional spiritual landscape where Am Yisrael know exactly how to function um, so this is the uh, example or this is uh, where we see uh, Sefer Bamidbar uh, make an enormous leap, an enormous shift and if you pay careful attention to Perak Haf Aleph you'll really be able to sense uh, the shift in mood um, there's much more to be said about this topic but our time is up um, and Bezrat Hashem we will meet uh, once again next week thank you <laughs>